Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Have you guys heard of Beam? I have been absolutely loving their products lately. Beam is a CBD company that's making waves in the running world by offering products that combine THC-free CBD with other high-quality ingredients. It was founded by two ex-professional athletes with the idea that everyone should have the chance to experience what better feels like. Whether you're sore or stressed, Beam is key for recovery and self-care. Try it for yourself with 15% off using the code FTLR from beamtlc.com. I recommend Beam Dream Powder or the Focus Capsules. Welcome back. I have Karis Yokin joining me on the podcast today. Karis, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. For sure. Um, so we are trying video. So I get to see somebody's face during a podcast for the first time in a long time. So thanks for uh, humoring me with this. Um, but before we dive too far into it, um, the first question is, who is Karis? I love this question. So professionally, I am a runner and graduate student getting my master's in data analytics. And in the soul, I am a lifelong learner and pursuer of all passions. I love that in the soul, not just like in life. Um, so we, we went, we went on a walk a couple of weeks ago at 6 a.m. and you were asking me these like deep questions about life and what are we here for and who am I and all this stuff. Um, and it got my wheels turning on uh, having you on this podcast and, you know, doing it at a time that was, you know, the sun was up and we both had at least one to three cups of coffee. So here we are. Yeah, so, that was so good. I love, all sunset and sunrise uh, conversations. <laughs> yes, it was lovely. The coffee was great too. Um, so given that this is a running podcast initially, maybe let's set the stage um, there and then we'll we'll dive into more of the life side of things. So um, do you remember your first run? I do. My first, well, the first memory of my of running was probably in first grade whenever we had to run a mile time trial for those presidential fitness tests. Um, I remember I beat everyone except for two boys, and but I hated running. It was just one of those, let's just get it over with as soon as possible. I'm a competitive person, so I'm going to give it my all. I don't like doing it, but let's just get it over with kind of thing. And how did it evolve from those first few runs to where you are today, um, running at, at the level you're at or having run at the level you're at and where you're hoping to go with it? Yeah. So I continued running through middle school and my younger years as a way to stay conditioned for soccer. I was a professional, excuse me, I was a competitive soccer player growing up and a center mid. So running was one of my primary um, 
things that I knew, skills that I needed as a center mid on the soccer field. And so that was what I, what I did uh, during the fall of middle school and everything growing up. And then my sophomore year of high school, I was still running cross country because again, staying conditioned for soccer. And I suddenly got kind of out of nowhere fifth in the state of Texas and qualified for NXN as an individual. And that was kind of when the bug bit me. Uh, The running, you have to run a, a certain number of miles before you fully experience the high. And that was kind of the point where I was starting to get emotionally addicted. I was starting to see success. And then at the same time, I had stopped growing. And so I was getting pushed around on the soccer field. And so wasn't as competitive there was seeing success in running. And the more you do it, the more I was learning about myself outside of running and just loving the entire process and just continued pursuing it. Because that seemed to be the thing in life that was setting my soul on fire. I love that. And it's less about the tangible aspect and more about the process. And And I've reflected on this component of like elite running or successful running, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 times now on this podcast. And I started, I started asking questions about success and like, what does success mean to you? And fast forward five to 10 years and anyone who's ever achieved anything that I've asked this question to, maybe not anyone, 90% of the people that I've asked this question to have about what is success or what would you be proud of in five to 10 years? 90% of them have not given me a tangible answer. It's a, I would be proud of getting better or showing up every day or growing a team or like all of these things that you can't put metrics around, which for you as a data analyst and data scientist is uh, where it's all metrics based, right? But this is process. And so I'm wondering where the switch came for you or was there ever a switch? Was it always this way? Um, Cause I think that that's a, that's a piece that a lot of amateurs in particular miss and, and definitely some pros as well. Um, but I think that there's a lot to be learned from getting to that place. Yeah. Well, such a good question. I've never been asked that before of like when the switch was, but, um, and I've, I don't think I've ever really thought about when the switch was myself, but whenever you ask me that I, I know the answer right away. And it was when I graduated college and not, and it was the reason being because I was very disappointed with my collegiate career. The last two years of college, I was plagued with chronic hamstring tendinopathy and ran probably in a 24-month period, probably ran 10 of those months, just on and off, um, couldn't get over this hamstring tendinopathy. And I and just graduate and I graduated. PRing in the 10K despite having so much pain in my high hamstring, and then decided I'm not going to run again until it's pain free. And that decision 
was probably kind of whenever I realized that it had to be process oriented. It could not be goal oriented because I had graduated college having not accomplished close to any of the goals that I had set myself whenever entering college. And I had to think back on my collegiate career um, and ask myself, was it worth it? Was it worth how much emotional and uh, physical time I had put into it? Was it worth the literal pain um, that I had put my body through to the point where I I had trouble sitting comfortably? Was it all worth it for pursuit of something that never even happened? And as disappointed as I was with my collegiate career, my answer was yes. Um, It was all worth it because I was, even though I wasn't successful, I was pursuing something with my whole heart And even though I can look back at my collegiate career and count and point out so many things that I wish I had done differently, I don't um, lament past Karis for those decisions because at the time, she was doing the best that she could with the information she had. And I think that that's that's all we can do. And all of those mistakes or things that I can point to in my past, I wish I had done differently. I I use them as lessons to go forward. And um, maybe they'll work out in some way to be like a tangible goal that I've set out to myself. But if I'm pursuing something and learning along the way and becoming a better version of myself as a runner and more importantly as a person – then I think that that's all that we can do in life. And that's what we're called to do and share with each other. I love that. Um, Yeah, I think that's when you push the tangible aspect aside and focus on how you framed it there, like the tangible results come. And if they don't, they don't. But if they do, they do. And it's not like... I think it was Scott Fobble who wrote a piece about not sitting in your successes. Like if you don't define yourself by your failures, why would you define yourself by your successes? You probably have more failures than successes. So why would you define yourself by your successes? And I, I loved this point and he's someone who like clearly loves the process and he documents it through storytelling with Naz elite and all of this. Um, and yeah, he'll have some great days and most of the rest of the days will be trash, but that doesn't really matter. Those are just data points and it just informs how you manipulate the process. And I find that, I find that approach, um, admirable and hard to get to, but I think it's, it's how you improve tangibly, which then helps you enjoy it more. Yeah, I agree. Cause it, because whenever you take that mindset, whenever you st- whenever you line up to any starting line, and that's in the running sphere, but starting line of any big goal that you set out for yourself, if you enjoy the process to getting there, then you line up to that starting line already a winner. And that just, and I fully believe that gives you the freedom to 
to self-actualize what you're capable because fear is what keeps us from reaching our potential. And whenever you, the ultimate race um, I can think of for anyone is the person who lines up just without, without fear um, and totally ready to make a fool out of themselves, but enjoy finding out um, and being curious about the process. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So before my last marathon, I was talking with Shalane about racing and she said, enjoy it. Race day is when I feel most alive with all the uncertainty and the unknown and like go out and find out what you're made of. And I stood on that start line, it's 55 degrees raining with a smile on my face. Like I'm going to have a day and let's see what happens. And several thousand miles went into like delivering me to that start line in, in the headspace that I was at. And obviously I wanted to see a two on the clock at the end of the, at the end of the 26.2 miles, but it didn't matter. It was like, it's like you said, like I got to that start line happy and ready to like, what's going to happen next. Um, and that's where the magic happens. You don't get that. But when it happens, like that's why that's why we do it, right? When you when you're like so present that anything is is success. Yeah, I feel like that's that's so great. I feel like the my favorite part of racing for both myself and as a spectator is I want to see the results, but I wish a part of track and field and road racing and trail racing, just the running. I, I wish there was a way that we would all capture the stories behind behind the races, which is which is one of the things that I think you're doing with your podcast and that and the podcast boom in general, which is so fantastic, is those race results, whether they're epic failures or epic successes, are just moments in time. But I want to know the story behind that person. Like what got them to that starting line? Because chances are that um, there's so much that no one knows went into that. And one of my favorite quotes, I'm going to misquote it. I wish I had it in front of me. But it's something about um, – don't like show me someone show me someone's story and you'll show me someone that I love. Yeah. Oh, dang, I'm messing that up. But it was the the thought being like there isn't someone in this world who once you hear their story, you won't fall in love with because we you never know what's actually behind a person. Yeah, totally. And I think that like I've I've had conversations on this podcast where I've literally started with like, oh, you've done some cool stuff in your career. Like, I don't want to talk about any of it. I want to talk about what's next. Like I said that to Kara Goucher uh, when we sat in Boulder a couple of years ago and I said, look, you're an Olympian. You're, you've represented the country at the highest level. Like, not interested. Let's talk about the future and why you're doing this and what's like, tell me your story. Um, and I think that there's so much that's lost in just looking at the numbers and I'm never 
interested in like, oh yeah, I nailed this 20 by 400 workout and it was great. And it helped me, you know, increase my aerobic threshold by blah, blah, blah. Um, I currently train effort-based and it's a total removal of numbers as the driving metric, but we both work in a, in a job where numbers are the driving metric, whether it's blood work or whether it's data or whether it's whatever it is. Um, so I think it's like a little respite and also like a chance to um, let the let the qualitative aspect tell the story. Um, David, my coach, was watching the splits in that race and he saw them going, you know, flatlining basically and then slowing down and slowing down and slowing down. And I hit this point at like mile 20 or 21 or it was 20, 22. And I was like, nope, this day's not over yet. Um, and then the pace picked right back up. And so David's watching at home, like watching the splits go from like 640s, 640, 640, 640, 650, 7, 710, and then back to 7 and then back below 7. And he's like, oh, my God, I can't, I can't wait to hear the story behind this. Like the numbers are telling like in that case, the numbers were telling the story, but the story was much more interesting than that. So, um, again, I've told this story on the podcast, I don't know, 30 times now. So I'm going to I'm going to have to run another race to uh, to get a, another and better story. But um, so it goes in 2021. I'll continue to reflect on a race from two years ago. Um, back back to you, though. Uh, you're, you are not currently running at this moment. Is that correct? That is, uh, kind of correct. I actually just got released oh. with a yellow light, I yellow light so that I don't get too excited with a green light. <laughs> so um, talk, talk to me about that. How, how has that been? For the last few weeks and months. Yeah. So to give background, I mentioned earlier in this podcast that nagging ham hamstring tendinopathy injury uh, that I struggled through the my last two years of college that continued on and off after college. Saw had about had about a twelve month stint of healthy running post collegiate that I'm so grateful for enabled me to accomplish a lot of goals in a short period of time, despite having missed a ton of training the previous two years. But almost exactly two-ish weeks after the pandemic hit last March, so in April, early April last year, I, I remember the my last run that I went on where the tendon had obviously been super fragile in my in my left hamstring and it just tore away from the bone. And so I since last April kind stopped running and um at the time didn't get an MRI because I thought that well I've been dealing with this same injury on and off. I know how to come back from it, but it came to September and I still wasn't better. And given my history of fighting through through it um, and fighting back and forth through healthy and unhealthy running, 
for several years. I was just tired. And so I sought out alternatives and ended up getting surgery in October. So I am now four and a half months post-op and my surgeon and I got a control MRI to look it over, see how the healing process has been. And I've been given the green oh, excuse me, yellow light to start slowly returning to running. I am expected to make a full recovery, but I definitely plan on taking it slow because this is a a really cool opportunity for me to rebuild my body and in a sustainable way to last what I hope is a lifetime of of running. So yeah, kind of on the up and up. Cool. How, uh, was it hard to not run? Uh, I know we talked at length about, um, running is like the best way to socialize from a COVID safety standpoint versus being indoors with people and whatnot. Um, so it sounded like it has been hard, but talk to me about like the last six plus months of, seeing other people doing what they love and what you love and, and not being able to do it. Yeah. I, so it's definitely been hard. The, the simple answer is yes, it's, it's still hard. Even though I just got released to run, I'm, I, um, my, my little jogs back are very humbling. And I don't, this is the first time I've actually even told anyone other than my doctors in a public setting that I'm back to running because it's, you don't feel like yourself whenever you're starting over. You're like, why is a nine minute mile so hard? And um, that part is not fun. But at this at the same time, it, it became much easier to not run after the surgery because I had a glimmer of hope. Whenever the on it, I got really tired of trying to run but not being pain free during the pandemic, and that the that combined with the pandemic was probably the the hardest stint of this not running because as we kind of talked about. Uh, previously, even though there weren't races, for a lot of people, myself included, having running during that time was was almost like the one thing that it seemed like we could control and what had become such an uncontrollable and chaotic world. And so it was almost... Um, as the external world was in chaos with the coronavirus, my own little internal world seemed to be going on its own chaotic journey as well. And so that was just a perfect little storm going on during the pandemic. So definitely not a fun time mentally or physically. But once you once you get surgery, it's very clear that you shouldn't be running. <laughs> And um, but what were you doing to cope with with it? I I went on a lot of hikes. So I was able to hike pain-free, which I was so incredibly grateful for. And living in Boulder, Colorado, there are plenty of mountains and beautiful hikes right in my backyard. 
And that is truly what saved me is being able to still experience the outdoors because it, after dealing with an injury for so long, you have to ask yourself the hard questions. Like, what if I can't run again ever? Um, how, what was, what was your answer to that? I decided that I was going to pour my, the way that I poured myself into running, I was going to find something else that I was going to do. And it was being outside and connecting with nature was always going to be important to me. So I was very grateful to hike, but I just felt this, I just feel this like artistic need to create. And so I was like, I'm going to apply to Juilliard and become a professional piano player. (laughs) Or I wonder if I can be, if it's too late to become a ballerina, or I'm going to build like the coolest Python program ever. Like I just knew that I, as I said earlier, I'm in my soul, I'm like a pursuer of passions. I'm just passionate about anything about passion. Like I love hearing people talk about their passions, things that they're devoted their life to, even if it's something I'm totally not interested in. I just want to hear you talk about something passionately. And so it became a thing of, okay, if I can't run, let's find out now so that I can find my next passion and just pour my whole heart into it. My buddy is, um, my buddy Tommy is um, a writer and journalist and new videographer. And he's started this project called what's your passion. And they're like two minute videos of people talking and sharing their passion. So I'm going to have to share this with you. Um, oh he's he's layman's productions on Instagram. Um, and he's doing it around Boston and just like, he followed me around for a day and, and we took video at Heartbreak Hill and like some other iconic spots uh, around Boston and, and the river, Charles River. And um, and then I, I recorded an audio file and he overlaid that. And it's like, it's so powerful to hear people talking about what they care about. And like one guy was talking about the piano and another was talking about CrossFit, like it's like these things that I'm not passionate about, like I want to become a professional at them because the hearing someone talk so passionately is just so motivating. Thanks again to Beam for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I take their dream powder most nights before bed. Dream contains magnesium, a small amount of melatonin and broad spectrum nano CBD and always leads to a refreshing night's sleep. I'm also a big fan of their focus capsules for during the day containing many of the nutrients that I know my body needs, such as ashwagandha, CoQ10, as well as CBD, Focus helps you do exactly that. Visit beamtlc.com and use the code FTLR for 15% off and let me know what you think. And now, back to our conversation. Another thing you mentioned was um, the best uh, Python curry. Talk to me about the one that we were tweeting about a while back. where did that, where did that first, what was it and where did that come from? Yeah. So I think, so I think we've had several, but I think the one you're talking about was the sentiment analysis where <laughs> yeah. it gave you a positive report. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I built a Python program 
Which for anyone who doesn't know, Python is a programming language that's very robust that you build from scratch. So you can do so much with it, whether it's like build different apps or computer programs or analysis, whatever. And I built this program that looked at people's tweets so I could input whoever's usernames I wanted. I inputted my own and Jonathan's because we like talking actively on Twitter. And it gave out a sensitive, it did a sensitive analysis on someone's tweets, which that means it looks at the words that you're tweeting and gives you basically a positivity score. And so I looked at different people and how positive their Twitter was and would reach out to Jonathan whenever I was like, looks like you had a low day today. How are you doing <laughs> over there? Your positivity score would um, went down and he would respond be like, I'm fantastic to an exclamation <laughs> point. You are like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was really nice because we kind of boosted each other in an effort to boost our own sensitive analysis (laughs) score. Yeah, I think you put in David Roche in there and it broke the algorithm and said, this is cannot compute too positive. I know. I I was like, I want to I want to see how how high this sensitive analysis score can go input David Roche. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get into this type of field? So uh, I said that I'm currently pursuing my master's in data analytics. And as part of the master's program, we got introduced to beginner Python because uh, you can analyze data in Python. There's many ways to analyze data, but this is just one of them. But I really loved kind of how I alluded to earlier, the, the creativity that the Python programming language allows because you don't rely on on something that someone else has already built. You have to build it yourself. And so that part was really fun for me because it was like a little logic puzzle. And the more I practiced it on my own, the more I could see that, oh, there's a bunch of fun stuff that you can do. So I just started taking other classes on my own to complement what we were learning in school to see what other fun stuff I could program. And that's kind of how I came across the Twitter sentiment analysis that I did. Because I think that um, numbers are fun. uh, Creating is fun. And if I can, and asking questions is fun. And so uh, um, I just wanted to see how many questions I could answer in a, a Python and then answer them myself with a Python program. Very cool. What are you currently working on? So I am currently learning on, I really like text data. So which is what Twitter, what tweets are like text, you could text data could include uh, text messages or emails or reviews for a product or whatever. Because And I, the reason I like text data is, is because I think it is very insightful into uh, a person's mind and the mind frames that we're all in. And I, the brain is very interesting to me. And so looking at data from a psycho psychoanalysis perspective, I think is very interesting. And so I'm taking a class, which is outside of my program, to learn how to be better analyze text data. And then I actually um, downloaded all of my text messages 
from iMessage. <laughs> and so I want, after I finish the class, I want to analyze um, text conversations I've had with specific people <laughs> and see if there's anything insightful about those. What what kind of insights would you be looking for? So I have, I've, I'm writing down ideas that who knows if I'll be able to answer them. But I think it would be cool to look at are there certain times during the month or throughout the year that people seem to use certain words more often? So that would be a simple analysis. Like when do people say the words love the most often? Or if I can do a sentiment analysis, this is very big picture um, and big idea. But I think it would be cool to predict when a woman is on her menstrual cycle based on like how messy she is in her text messages. And so okay, you've got a would, million dollar idea there. <laughs> I think so too. I just need the data because um, obviously just my few, um, the, I can't, I can't run an algorithm on like 10 people's worth of five years of data. I need, I need some. So if anyone wants to send me all of their, their messages or <laughs> want to allow me, I'll, I'll run this algorithm and see if I can sell it to someone. <laughs> yeah. Sell it to like men's journal or ask men or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like they would $10 know. a month app. That's yeah. That's a good idea. Like on a dating, like a dating app. Cause they would, the men need to know how to best respond to the woman like, okay, I need to be extra sensitive this week and don't need to acknowledge why, but just having that knowledge can really help relationships. I think that's fantastic. I'll be signing up. <laughs> <laughs> um, switching gears to a question that you asked me uh, at about 6.35 in the morning. Um, hopefully it's okay that I ask you. Uh, what are your demons? So switching gears entirely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that might be question. a little heavy, might be a little heavy for this, but, uh, no, no, not too heavy. Um, I'm trying, I forgive, forgive me if I don't give the exact same answer. Cause I don't even remember what I said, um, whenever we had this conversation, but, I would say that the biggest, my biggest demon is my, I always think that I'm not enough. Um, every day I'm a, I'm a very harsh self-critic and every day I kind of run through my mind, the choices that I made. And it always seems like it was either too little or too much. And I'm never accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish. I, I said I'm a dreamer and sometimes I wonder if my dreams are too big because I always seem very disappointed in myself. And that's not a way to live. And um, that's definitely a mindset that I am, I have to actively practice getting out of. But whenever I'm insecure or not in the best mental health health space, that's very much uh, my my default and leads to perfectionist uh, tendencies 
and a lot of self-doubt. I do remember that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I, it was very similar to the answer that you gave um, a couple of weeks ago. What do you what do you do to rectify the self doubt and um, feelings of not being enough? It's a it's a conversation that um, comes up sometimes when talking about imposter syndrome or um, I've had the conversation about like you are enough or David and Megan talk about you are enough as like their whole person their whole like mantra and purpose in life is to help people get to a place of self-acceptance and self-love. So how, how are you, how do you work on this? So the thing that I found to be the most helpful for me are words, whether it's uh, reading or writing. I, I've kept a journal since I was in the third grade and Right and taking the time to actually write how I'm feeling really helps. And sometimes that's hard. And so sometimes the journal entry is more just a log of what went on during a day. But then for every one of those, there's a journal entry where I kind of discover something about myself or what I was feeling just because journaling with pen and paper forces you to slow down versus like journaling on a computer where you can type really fast. And I think that that is an important part of journaling because your your hand can only move so fast before it cramps and it forces your mind to really focus on what you're writing and absorb. And so that's that's really helped me because putting words to my feelings helps me kind of muck through the lies that I tell myself because I, because that's what fear is, right? Fear is made up. We, uh, whenever we're afraid of something, it's usually not based on facts. It's based on anticipations. And whenever I write that down, I can rationalize through these fears and say, okay, so this is the fear that I'm having but what's the alternative? What this, I, I think that this might happen and that sounds scary, but what if this other good thing could happen too? Like That's just as realistic. And it just kind of puts me in a different mind frame and, um, ration- and see that the fears aren't rational. They're not based on facts. And for every sad story, there's also a lot of good stories. And so that's where the reading comes into play too, is just hearing other people's stories. You see that there's not one person who isn't dealing with something. And it makes my own problems, I say in air quotes, problems seem so much smaller because we're all dealing with our own demons and no one's demon is better or worse or stronger or weaker than someone else's. They're just different. And if we can all um, realize how small we are, I think that it makes the world a less scary place. I love that. I just wrote down fear is made up and it's all about the anticipation versus anything rational. Um, I'm reading uh, Daring, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown and she spends the first 50 pages of the book writing about vulnerability 
and um, anticipation of fear versus like realized fear uh, and courage and mm-hmm. and being vulnerable is not a sign of weakness. And she pulled special ops members and military members and blah, 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 and found in every single scenario where anything good happened, there was always a little bit of vulnerability and unknown, but that's required. And, and the other piece that she highlighted was like, I'm not interested in opinions or conversations with people who aren't interested in that. Um, essentially saying if your life is status quo and um, all about removing risk and never taking a chance, like not interested in your opinion. Um, and I think that, you know, so much of our own experiences about who we surround ourselves with, um, that this is like, look for people who are bold and taking risks and you'll be a little more comfortable in doing the same thing. Yes, exactly. Um, cause, and that's something that the, this pandemic has made so, so clear is Humans are social creatures. We're built for connection. And there is not connection without vulnerability. And so that's why I I loved that walk that we did at 6.30 in the morning because I don't know about you, but I was like, let's let's talk about – like I want to get to know Jonathan. I don't want to just hear um, – about the upcoming trip to Breckenridge or whatever, as cool as that sounds, but I just I want to get to know you. Like, what's a, what what keeps you up at night? What sets your soul on fire? That connection is what we're made for. Yeah, completely agree. How does running fit into that equation for you? Yeah, um, running is the ultimate teacher of life. I love and that and I and that's one of the reasons why like this injury that like going on and off for four years really really sucks. There's been a lot of low lows, but I've learned so much in the time that I even I've I've been sidelined about myself and about the human existence in general. And there's just no, I've never seen another lesson teacher like running or or way to bring people together like running. Because whenever you tell me you're a runner, I say there's so much loaded in that one sentence. I know how you, how I know you know pain. I know you know perseverance. I know you've thought about giving up every single time and then said no and not given up. And I know that um, you know what it's like to epically fail and you know what it's like to pursue something without the promise of that something ever happening. And there's just a connection whenever someone says that they're a runner with other that that I don't think there's another community like that. And 
the the cool thing about that is that connection is built whenever we're with people, whenever we're running with people, but it's also built on the solo runs. Whenever I go out by myself with no music or podcasts or anything, no one else is even around and I'm just exploring my own um, fears and pain, I feel like at the same time I'm I'm connecting deeper to my own true being while connecting to other people around me. Like I just become a better version of myself. Yeah, I love that. It's it's so true. It's like you can't be a runner without struggling and you can't be a human without struggling. And the the lessons like running is a sandbox where you can play around and, you know, for the most part, there's little risk. Um, I mean, sure, you might need surgery or you might need, you know, some time off or whatnot. But in the grand scheme of things, like you can't screw up that much in in running. Um, but you can in life. But the the lessons that you can learn from the mistakes in running translate into life. And and I think that there's so much carryover there. And I think it's a reason that runners and endurance athletes are are drawn to challenging things in life. There's an article a few years ago in Outside Magazine that said that um, endurance athletes make better employees and it's valid. And it and the reason it's valid is exactly what you said. Like to be a good employee, you need to challenge yourself and you need to set goals and you need to um, hit quotas and hit, you know, and, and do consistently good work in order to get better and get a raise and get a promotion and keep getting paid and all these kinds of things. And who better to understand that process than somebody who does that process every single day? So true. Agree a hundred percent. So again, switching gears a little bit. um, If you could speak to 20 year old Karis, what would you say? If I could speak to younger Karis, I would have reminded her, this is your life. To me, this mantra serves as a reminder that I can pursue high goals and have big dreams while simultaneously enjoying today. Because we aren't guaranteed the future, our, ex- our life exists in this moment right now, and everything we do is only worth it if we stay present in the now. And so just every day thinking that this is your life right here, this moment. I love that so much. Um, David has put that in my training log like six times in the last year. <laughs> I've, really? Yeah, I've like... I get I often get like really excited and excitable about things whether it's relationships that seem to be interesting and then turn out to be nothing or whatnot um or projects or trips or whatever and he always like grounds me and brings me back to like all that matters well, not all that matters, but the most important thing is in this moment, you are present and you are happy and you are enjoying 
the present because you could get hit by a bus tomorrow. And then who cares about all your hopes and dreams and, and aspirations if you're not living it in the moment. And part of that is like rectifying like reality and the fact that like, I can't just play in the mountains for 168 hours a week. Um, that's not reasonable, but for the hours that I can, I, I'm enjoying it. And that's, that's the, the quality of life I'm, I'm looking for in this moment. And, um, I don't remember where I was going with that, but it, it's so true. The, no, um, that was so good. Yeah. It's the, the, we're not guaranteed the future. So may as well enjoy the now. Yeah. And I think it brings it full circle back to what we started with and that it has to be a process, a enjoyment in the process where you're not just, it's not just a success. If you meet whatever goal, um, you have to be enjoying every single moment along the way. Not that, not that it it all needs to be like rainbows and butterflies. Like I definitely don't think that, um, Every every run needs to be glorious, and every day is just such a good day. Like that's well, not Boulder. It is. <laughs> I don't know. It, it was like zero degrees last week, and that was not <laughs> a good day. <laughs> um, but but in that but in that grind or those hard days, I think you you still find joy because. Also, one thing a uh, thought I really like is like happiness is not the same as joy. And I think that joy, happiness is much, much more volatile and on a day-to-day thing, on a day-to-day process. But joy is something that is inside a person and that someone can hold on to on their darkest days. And that's what allows us as runners and as humans to push through those doubts and those dark days or dark seasons, whether it's um, an injury or a pandemic or whatever is the joy in the, in each moment. I love that. I think it's a good place to, to wrap. Um, so thank you so much for sharing all of this and for sharing your passions and um, some, some kitty meows as well behind you as to Louise was, was uh, crawling on your head, <laughs> which was pretty funny. You kept uh, calm under fire there. Um, if people want to follow along with you and your journey and passions, where can they follow you? Yeah, um, probably the best place would be on Instagram or Twitter. Both handles are the exact same. It's my first and last name, which is spelled K-A-R-I-S-J-O-C-H-E-N. It's pronounced Karasjokin. It just does not look that way. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Karis, thanks so much for taking some time to chat and uh, see you again soon in Boulder, I'm sure. Sounds good. Thanks, Jonathan. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.